Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome, everybody. Hey. Episode 30. Nice round number. Right. Yeah. Feels like a milestone. Yeah. I feel like round numbers are always good. Nobody nobody celebrates episode 26. No. Not very Apologies often. Apologies to whoever that was. I don't remember. Uh, I got to look it up. I don't know. Quinny, I think, was 25, right? I don't know. He might have been 26. God, we're Marcel and Brandon 27. We're 27. Yeah. Well, I don't remember who followed who, but uh, we are. Sice. Andy yeah. Sice. But yes. we got another episode for you. A good one that went in different directions than our usual one. And I feel like I say that mm-hmm. a lot. As I said no, no, the no. sentence, I'm like, oh, I say a lot. We went in some different directions, but this one we said in this it, one, this it one really deep did. dived in more into current racing and yeah. just the overall landscape of it, especially yeah. you know at Thunder Road than we have ever before, even with our other current drivers. Yeah, and this came up. Because, Justin, you are a stats guy. You are the stats guy. And this past week, Jason Corliss continues to break records, the the first guy to win five point-counting races in one season. Yeah, and it's been, well, for the the modern era late models, which started, uh, this is the 30th season. Uh, They began in 92, so... That's a significant accomplishment. And I actually started doing some, because I'm the stats guy, apparently, um, some comparisons. And in terms of win percentage, I mean, he is, you got Dave Dion and Pappy Forsyth and Jason Corliss. That's it. I mean, like you go back, you go back 50, what is this? 61 years now, whatever the math is, he is, putting up historic numbers um not just for the late models but for all time and Um, we brought it up because and we're going to try to keep this somewhat brief because we ended up going you know fairly long with bobby uh we talked about this is before we started recording just you and i messaging back to for back and forth after thursday's race was whether or not Jason gets the credit he deserves for what he's doing. And just looking at it in terms of its significance, in terms of level of competition, or does that take away from what he's doing? And different things, like we talk about this all the time, you know, Facebook, social media is just a landscape for people to talk shit about people who are doing great things. Right. <laughs> and want to make people feel 
poorly, probably because they're having a rough day or whatever it may be. Right. And, you know, Jason is, he's never going probably to be Nick Sweet to that community. Of, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, Nick was the Barry kid, the homegrown kid. And despite the hometown saying Barry Vermont for Jason Corliss, you know, he's a Plainfield, he's a Marshfield kid. He's a Twinfield kid. And he Which, just doesn't seem he's it says that, but he's never gotten that kind of that hometown that's right push that a Nick Sweet got. And and for for somebody who lives on the other side of the state as I do, Barry and Plainfield are pretty much the same place for an outside observer. Yeah. But that's like saying Middlebury and Bridport over here are the same place and you know that it's not, you know, we're 10 minutes apart, much like Barry and Plainfield, but it's two very different places. And if you don't have the home crowd on your side, you're an outsider. Yeah. And you'll have the, and we talked about this, you'll have the detractors that'll say, Jason isn't beating a Nick sweet or a Bobby Therian or a Derek O'Donnell or a Phil Scott or whoever. Despite the fact that <laughs> he is, but then you'll have people, oh, well, yeah, but they're not running full-time, and yeah, right. they're focusing on other things, so it's not the same. Right, right. And it just, it sucks, because I feel like when you look at what he's doing, I don't care who you put in there, I think Jason's going to be pretty goddamn successful. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Um, Bobby Theron gave us some great insight on that. And, um, you know, the history of them and the milk bowls, especially, but, um, they battled for a championship, um, you know, for a year or whatever it was that Bobby won it in 2017, right. As Jason was in his climb. And, um, I feel like they have come to that. Of course they have, they, they've come through exactly the same steps. They've raced each other at the same time at every level. Um, and have beaten each other. And I feel like Bobby Therian has a better perspective on who Jason Corliss is as a racer than perhaps anybody else. Um, and now that he's, now that Bobby's not part of the weekly grind at Thunder Road, um, I think he can give that perspective and not have it affect anything to do with his racing. Um, and he did that. And I'm not going to, you know, elaborate any further on that. We'll let Bobby do it here later in the show, but. Um, really cool, interesting stuff. And like you said, it's the first time we've ever talked about what's happening right now on this show. Yeah. And before we're going to get to the show here in just a second, but it's like people want to penalize the Jason for the fact that he is hitting his peak, his prime right now. Yeah. And for the most part, he's the only guy really at Thunder Road who's entering his prime right now you have a lot of people trying to ascend to get there young guys you have some guys that maybe are just past that that prime that peak and that's that's not his fault <laughs> um just this past week on social media christopher pelkey who is the guy you know that everybody is comparing to jason corliss right now just because they're one and two in the points um Christopher Pelkey made a classy as hell statement 
because people are arguing, fans are arguing about the handicap system at Thunder Road and it's bullshit and it sucks and blah, blah, blah. And, and Christopher Pelkey just was like, these are the rules. We all follow them. We all have the same thing. Uh, let it go. We're going to race our cars. We're having fun doing it. And may the best man win. And I admire the hell out of that. And I also admire the hell out of the fact that Christopher Pelkey's team is not the the Pard brothers and Andrew Hill and Chris uh, Burnett and Jason Corliss and the established thing that they have built. Christopher Pelkey is basically a Tiger team overachieving by leaps and bounds right now yeah. and winning races and contending for a championship and turning all kinds of heads. But yet people shit on him and say Corliss is is a cherry picker and and I use that term later in the show um and before we get into that understand that we are not in any way bashing Jason Corliss for being good nor are we tearing down Christopher Pelkey or anybody else in that late model division for not being Jason Corliss yeah um if anything we're we're trying to say like hey by saying Jason is not beating anybody you're you people are <laughs> shitting on <laughs> right, everyone right. else. That's right. Uh, uh, but this is a really good show. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Bobby Therrien is a polarizing guy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this one. This is a really, it, it went down a different path and I don't think we, we planned on it when we pressed the record button. Yeah. Especially the second half of this interview was not, not where I thought it would go. And we yeah. touched very, very little on his championship year. <laughs> right. It was actually like we, it was we literally an afterthought for the most part. <laughs> but I don't think I don't think we missed out on anything. I think we brought you a good conversation. So as I hear a screaming child banging oh, on the man, door she's in unhappy. the background who is who is very not happy. Very um, late in the night to be unhappy. This does seem like a better time than any to uh, to find something happier to talk about. Like Massetti Brothers. <laughs> Custom, Custom vinyl lettering. Vinyl lettering. I mean, the opposite of a screaming child is a good-looking race car. Am I correct? I think I am. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and it's only... Well, I guess it's September, uh, but that means that the season is coming to a close and people are making plans for next year. And um, Paul Massetti is the guy that you want to talk to and, and get ready for your wraps or even if it's just, you know, quick stickers. And I would um, get, and I would, like you said, I would try to get in there early. He had what, yeah. over 30 teams right. that he did stuff for this year. So get yourself in there, get your stuff ready to go early so you're not mm-hmm. left out. And I, I actually, um, give me a sneak peek of a car that everybody's going to see this weekend at Thunder Road. Um, it's got a new design for the Labor Day show, which he was inspired by. He came over to Devil's Bowl um, a couple of weeks ago. Is it Mark Barnier? Cars. It's Mark <laughs> Yes. A it's whole Mark new Barnier. look? He got vinyl for the first time ever. <laughs> And and it was Paul that did it. No, it wasn't Mark Barnier, but that would be amazing. Would if we on this podcast led Mark Barnier to getting vinyl for the first time, <laughs> I feel like we need a nice bonus. <laughs> oh man, that's what we gotta have. We gotta have that happen. 
All right, we're going to, Paul, I know you're going to hear this. We're going to make this happen. You need to get some vinyl decals on Mark Barnier's race car. Is Mark even racing? I don't think so. I don't. It's probably just sitting there in the yard. We're gonna, we'll get some vinyl on the car. But anyway, <laughs> Paul Massetti uh, and Massetti Brothers uh, Custom Vinyl Graphics. Am I saying that right? I'm so yeah, lost now that we're good. talking about you're Mark good. Barnier. Okay, that's good. Uh as as his ad says, don't trust the most crucial thing on your list to just anybody or to the cheapest guy because you get what you want, pay for. You don't want junk, right? Yeah, get what you pay for. Exactly. Um, he's a racer. His brother Michael John is a racer. They know what a race car should look like. They know the time that you put into your car and that you don't want it looking like a janky old hoopty. So. Whether it's a warrior or a street or a tiger or a late model or a pass car or uh, a coupe or a modified or a midget or a sprint car, it doesn't matter. If it goes fast, you want it to look good. Um, and there you guys. Or if you're just a pickup truck with your own small business. Yep. Same deal. Mm-hmm. Go-karts. They do go-karts. They did Bush North cars back in the day. Or if you want one of those sweet vintage retro looking doors that that he's been coming up with um because hot damn they're cool and they're open by appointment in williamstown you can give them a call 802-249-3763 you can shoot them an email jpmassetti at gmail.com or facebook paul massetti and that's massetti M A S C I T T I. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's an Italian name with a French twist to it. Which is very, very Vermont. Give them a look, give them a shout, tell them that we sent you. And yeah. you're not gonna be displeased. You'll Speaking of which, yeah. if you want any of our uncommon D decals. You can shoot us a message as the second batch is in. So shoot us a message with your address, and uh, we'll try to get some out to you. I just gave 20 of them to Professor Al Maynard the other day. So if you see him, track him down. He's got some. Hey, and tip of the hat also to Al for his Nick Pilot episode. Whoa, and listen, he's got one coming up that is just fire. I don't know if you've listened to it yet. I have not. I'm not going to spoil who it was, but... It's good. It's really, really good for the Crunch Bunch podcast. Uh, I'm excited for it. That'll probably be next week. Yeah. We're usually yeah. float in there between two, three weeks and seeing how it is currently Monday. And we haven't teased anything for a Wednesday. So we'll probably wait and we'll let you know who it is at the end of this week and start cranking it up for next week. Well, it's a good show. It'll be again. If you don't, it doesn't matter if you don't watch the street stocks or care or, or know anybody or whatever. These are really good stories. And this particular one coming up is it's in my, if we had to rank a top five of everything that's ever come out of this uncommon deeds channel, it's in there. I, it's really good. Yep. We shall see. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't heard it. Uh, <laughs> but we do have a good story for you here right now. So yeah. without further ado, this is time. Six. Yeah. 
it's time for <laughs> Justin to make today's introduction. You may know him as the bad boy, but you can also call him a champion in every level of racing that he's participated in. He has gone home the king at the end of the year in some form or another. He's been a winner since he had braces on his teeth. Uh, he's long grown out of that, but he is uh, absolutely one of the best to turn a wheel in the modern era, especially at Thunder Road. Welcome to Uncommon Deeds, Bobby Therrien. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. I think I heard once that he was the Ryan Gosling of Thunder Road. Wow. I'm just saying, I heard that. <laughs> I have not heard that. So you are the only one that I know of that's heard that. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. It might have been me that said it. <laughs> yeah. But, <you> know. <laughs> um, so I know this goes back quite a ways, so you got to reach in the memory. But uh, we kick this off with just when motorsports came into your life. Pretty much since I was real young, um, we got into, my brother and I both did Soapbox Derby, um, and uh, we did that for a few years, and then shortly after that, we got into racing go-karts, and kind of went up through, he went right from go-karts into Tigers, and then when he did that, I kind of stayed in the go-karts for a little bit longer with my cousin and my uncle, and shortly after that's when the street stop came about, and then up through from there. Do they still do soapbox derbies? Yeah. I do not know, to be honest with you. I don't know if Vermont does anything. And, and obviously with the national stuff down in Akron, Ohio, I'm, I actually haven't heard a lot of stuff about that in the past few years, so I'm not really sure. How did you guys do in those things? We did well. My brother won both the stock and the super stock division. Um, that was the only two that we had around here. So he had two trips down to Akron, Ohio. And uh, I had one in the stock division for Vermont State. And I had actually passed up the opportunity to go down to Akron to race in the Nationals down there because it was the first year. I think it was 2000 or 2001. I don't remember which year that I was doing with go-karts and had the chance to go after championship that year. So I wanted to stay home and race that instead. So I, uh, I didn't end up going to Akron. Did you win the go-kart championship? I did. So it was worth staying home for. Now you raced at Thunder Road in the carts, which I had uh, the good fortune of borrowing a cart a couple of times and driving around the quarter mile. And that is the scariest shit I've ever done in my life. (laughs) Um, Did you do anything besides Thunder Road or was it just just there? So with Thunder Road, it was it was unique back then because when Donnie go was running the show, we used to run the road course on the infield too. Right. And when we run the road course, it would use turns two and turn one backwards. So that was always a blast to be able to run that. Um, we did do some traveling. There was some tracks over in New York that we'd go to. We would also do uh, Groveton, um, Canaan back when that was open for uh, the oval stuff. Um, so we did a little bit of traveling, not quite as much as the uh, the cars nowadays, but there was uh, there was a pretty good show that they put on back then. And is your dad racing at this time? No. So my dad got out of racing basically when they had my older sister. So when he he and his brothers stopped racing, they'd had the mini stocks back in the days of like the end of the Catamount era to the beginning of Thunder Road era, and so when my my parents started having family, they he had gotten out of racing completely. 
Yeah, your dad is Randy. He was a he was a pretty good winner in those mini stocks, the Volkswagen Beetles. I mean, this is this is back late seventies, early eighties, uh, Catamount and Thunder Road. I mean, there were very very few guys that could keep up with or beat Joey LeCare and Jerry Parentoni and then later Harry Gamble, but your dad was one of them. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of stories uh, back with the with the mini stock days, and almost all of them Joey LeCare's name comes up. Not always in the best way, but it's always, <laughs> it was always funny because, uh, I get along great with Joey and the whole care family. And, uh, my dad and Joey Jr. were pretty good friends back when he raced. And, uh, so it's, it's kind of neat to see generations later that the, uh, the families and the names are still there. So it's pretty cool. He ran, I think I have this right. He might have run some, some tiger stuff for a little while too, right? My father? Yeah. No, I think he, I think, I'm no. pretty sure that he stayed just with the mini stock stuff. Okay. Well, there was, uh, and then there were I a know, few like, cars. There were a few cars that had that sort of very familiar uh, red and orangey yellow paint scheme, and there were 48 and 84. And I thought I saw one that was a Tiger car that looked like that. Maybe not, not. that I'm aware of, anyways. Huh. I think it was pretty much before the cars and stuff like that, it was a lot of three wheeler racing. Um, so I think once the uh, once the cars came about, it was pretty much the Volkswagens, and that was it. Gotcha. Okay. Was he big on getting you and your brother into racing? No, not really. It was never really a push. Um, when he had always told me that when he stopped racing, it was cold turkey. He was done. He didn't go to the racetrack for the longest time. And uh, when me and my brother kind of started getting to the age of not even when we first started racing go-karts, it was more towards the end of racing go-karts as we would go up to a Thursday night show or stuff like that. But he never really, it was always our decision. He never pushed it towards us. Um, we had, we had our toys at home, whether it be a three-wheeler or four-wheeler, stuff like that, that me and my brother had a lot of fun with. Um, so we used to have a little go-kart that we used to ride in the field. So it's nothing like the racing go-karts, but once that showed up, it's like, oh, okay, well, then then it kind of started getting more serious into uh, let's try a racing go-kart. Um, so once once we made the decision, it was myself, my brother, and my younger cousin that all got into the go-kart racing at the same time. Um, so once once we made the decision to do it, it was full tilt from there. I must say, as a child of the 80s, I have to say, being on a three-wheeler might have been the sketchiest thing I've ever done. Yeah. That's I hear that a lot, and if they started making those again, I'd go buy one right off. I loved it. We used to have our – we had two Hondas, and they were my absolute favorite. They were so much fun. So, so how did the go-kart thing come about? It did, was a natural progression from yard carts to racing carts? or I mean, if you guys weren't going to Thunder Road at all, whose idea was it? Yeah, I don't, I don't even really know, to be honest with you, how it all actually started. Um, I know at the time when we got into it, my dad had a lot of people that he knew that was already into it. So I, I don't know if it was just from conversations that happened at work at some point, and then it decided like, hey, this is a good idea. Um, but I don't, I don't know exactly what led up to it or who was the uh, pushing factor on it, but it, uh, it came about pretty quick there for the first summer. So once you guys decided, though, that that's what you wanted to do, your dad was fully supportive. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And uh, 
we would show up at the racetrack and we would have three carts in our trailer for the three of us to go out. And between my father and my uncle, they spent a lot of time in the garage. And at that point, we're still young kids. We want to go outside. We want to play kickball. We want to play basketball and baseball and all that stuff out in the yard. And they would work every night, it seemed like, in the garage on the go-karts to make sure that they were ready to go and they were fast for the following week. Uh, but they were they were always very supportive if we want to keep doing it and then they would do what they got to do to allow us to keep going. So we had uh, Andy Sice on the show a few weeks back and he, you know, obviously has made it to the cup level, even if it was just, you know, the one start, but he achieved the dream after starting in a go-kart, but it took him four years to win a race. Was that the same experience for you or did you guys win right away? We were pretty successful right away. Um, the very first year, I believe, my brother had gotten the championship in his division. Um, what I remember about my first year is I had won a a race at Thunder Road on the Oval, and I had won a race at Thunder Road on the road course. So to me, that was like success. The success I won yeah. on both tracks at the same on the same year, my first year. Um, so it wasn't until my second year that I had started winning a championship in the division and kind of the way that the thunder road worked is you had your, your division that you raced every week, but then there was a separate championships that wrapped out like different groups of age ranking and different classes. Um, so you could get multiple championships in a year just by doing the, uh, the different stuff, but it was, it was successful right off the back for the most part um, for us. How many carts were going then? Around that time? Ah, boy, that's a good question. Depends on the division. It's kind of like, kind of what you see today. Um, some divisions are a lot better than others. One of the things that they had back then that you don't hear of much around here anymore is they had a regional series, WKA. The World Karting Association would travel all over. Um, you see them anywhere from back then. They'd come to Thunder Road once a year. Um, they'd be in Charlotte and all those places, it, it was big deal. And those guys would bring in semis. It would be full semi truck trailer trucks coming in. And it was absolutely insane. You'd be impressed just to see a race team show up today with that kind of setup. And they would bring in anywhere from 60 plus carts for a division. So it, uh, when those, when those classes would come in, it was definitely a stressful day, stressful weekend to just get in the show in general. Was your, goal always kind of move towards maybe street stocks and the kind of that thunder road path. Cause you see like Justin and I talk about, we watch the F one show that's on Netflix. And if you're doing F one, it has these crazy levels of carts that these kids are doing where it looks out of control and crazy. And these guys are kids are celebrities more or less just from carting. Not even a chance that I anticipated on doing that. <laughs> um, kind of once my brother got out of racing carts and got into the Tiger, I enjoyed helping with that. I was at the track every week with him. Um, and I was starting to slowly stop racing go-karts. I was just doing other stuff in the summertime um, and really didn't have any intentions on a street stock or a Tiger or anything like that. It was not anything I'd really even thought about. Um, that didn't, uh, the street stock deal didn't happen until I met Arnie Hill 
And that's where kind of that whole thing had started. So that's kind of what boosted me into, okay, I'm going to go out on Thunder Road that I raced on for years and years in a little go-kart and do it in a full-size car. You were a kid too. I mean, you were still very yeah. much a kid. Yeah, definitely. And kind of, we just had it at Thunder Road last week where they had the little, uh, where they bring the carts out during intermission. Yeah. Um, and one year we had, Tom had allowed Donnie Gobe to bring up what they called at the time a mini cup car. It yeah. looks like a regular race car, just small. Our man, that was gonna, had one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that car was going to pace the street stocks for the beginning of the race. It's like, okay, that sounds like a really dumb idea. That's, that could go bad in a hurry. And it's like, hey, you're going to drive it. I'm like, wait a minute here. <laughs> this sounds horrible. <laughs> so next thing you know, I they threw a radio at me, told me to get in it and go out there. He'll yell at you and tell you what to do. And that's exactly what happened. I got yelled at and I was told to pick it up and I was told to slow down and I was told to get off the track. So it, uh, that was my, my first experience on the track with the cars, with the bigger cars, not in one, but with them. So that was probably the scariest time. Well, a mini cup car is slightly larger than a go-kart. I mean, that's it's slightly that's larger. There's a, there's a little bit more stuff around you. So it makes you feel safe, even though there's no chance that you are when it comes to a full size car compared to one of those. Yeah, right. They used to have those at white mountain. Yeah. Pat yeah ran, correct. And they'd have like yep. eight or nine of them. And I thought, oh, they ever hit that front straightaway wall. That is just game over. It's the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and back then when we were racing Thunder Road, um, the styrofoam blocks that used to be over the top of three and four that you would see explode like crazy when the cars hit it. Before we started racing go-karts every Saturday morning, we had to line the whole front stretch wall with those. Yep. And once the racing was done, we had to take them all off or we weren't allowed to come back the next week. So that was... Everybody would get together between the crew that were there and the people that showed up early, and all those blocks would have to go out just to try to make it a little bit safer for us. I feel like that's great. That's a great thing to make young kids do. Like, Absolutely. oh, you want to do you, this? If, do, do if you want to go out and have fun, you got to help set it up, and that's then you right. got to help take it down. Yeah, I I hung around the go kart stuff just a little. I mean, only three or four, maybe five times ever. But it seemed like a lot of fun. Just really cool, laid back, relaxed atmosphere. And it was very bizarre to me that it was happening at Thunder Road. And it could be such a different thing in the same place as what I was used to with the frantic Thursday night grind where it's go, 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 go. And I mean, everybody knows that that track is the most you know military regimented racetrack in the world. And uh, the go-karts were just kind of, yeah, we're going to do this now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, no, and, and Donnie Gove and, and Marvin were great. Um, and I think they were great guys to run that show because they're both kind of just go with the flow. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. So take us into that four-cylinder. Um, you know, you were you only ran a few races um, at the end of one year. I don't remember what year it was. Probably 06, right? And uh as I recall, you wrecked it a few times, but you also did very well with it a couple of times. Yeah, so I got to know Arnie Hill and the whole Hill family. Um, I believe it was through a bowling league, actually, in Colchester. And uh, Stacy Hill, I had gone and started talking with him why we're all bowling and stuff like that. And 
it was through a friend that my mom used to work with that was like, Hey, we need to sub. You want to come out? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. No problem. And I met those guys and then it turned into, Hey, we've got this big go-kart race up in Canada. Do you want to go? And at that point I'm still fairly young, but it's like, Hey, that sounds like a good idea. It turns out I'm going with Justin Prescott and Brian Hoare. Mm-hmm. So we go up to Canada, oh, oh. go-kart race. I forget what the name of it is. That it, The place, I guess, is shut down, but I forget what the name is. Grand Prix. Of, I was there. Yeah. So Yeah, holy crap. It was for one of the big charities that they were putting on. They were raising yeah. money for all that stuff. So I had gone up there with Brian. And uh, at that point, Stacy had asked me if I wanted to go. had no clue that I ever raced go-karts. So it was perfect. I Going up there, no pressure. And then Brian realized that I race go-karts. It's like, okay, so we got to single this one out pretty quick. We go up there, and I believe it was uh, Keith Williams was there, which yep. was awesome in a go-kart. Jeremy Smale, awesome in a go-kart. So they're yes. like, okay, well, we can't let him beat us. That's that's pretty much number one. Um, absolute blast. The place was awesome. So much fun. Um, and then – as time went on, it got to the point of where Eric Bador was running for a championship at Thunder Road in the street stocks yeah. in the 04. And they decided that coming towards the end of the season, they want to have another car ready to go just in case something happens. I mean, it's the street stocks. It's not like they tear up a lot of stuff back then, just usually every week. So it, uh, <laughs> not it was long. a case of where they wanted, they <laughs> wanted to be able to make sure the car was good enough. And they asked me, Hey, you want to drive it a few times? Sure. How bad can it be? Not even remotely close to a go-kart at that point. So it, uh, it was a front wheel drive, which at that point, uh, Bedore had been doing really good with his front wheel drive. So we brought another one just like it and, uh, went out, we ran, I think it was the last three or four races maybe with it. Winter comes, Eric had gotten the championship and Arnie had talked to me and asked me what my plan was. I, at that point, I really didn't have any plans. And he asked me if I wanted to build a new car. That sounded like a great idea. So <laughs> we spent the winter between him and I and then Stacy as well, building a brand new car. And come the following season, we went up to Thunder Road. I believe we won the car show that year, which is always like a huge jinx for everybody. It seems like still to this day. We go out for the first race. How many times has Wiener won it? And he hangs yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we go out for the first race, and I remember having problems with the motor, and finally it just blew up. So it's like, okay, this this is going to be a fun summer. This has already happened now. Got a hold of Andy Costello and built another motor. We came back for the second race, won it right off the back. Um, car was just unbelievable at that point. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm a rookie driver. This is a, this is a fluke. We'll, we'll continue from there. And, uh, as the summer went on, it's like, okay, well, we're, we're doing really good in points here. And I think we ended up winning six races, I believe that year. Yeah. And I remember after, I think it was after the fourth win, I was confronted by Curly and told that I need to knock it off. And at that point, I'm like, what, what, what's going on? He's like, you're ruining my show. Cut the shit. Not happening anymore. You do it again and you're gone. I'm like, well, I'm not going to come up here to ride around. I'm, I'm here to win. I want to win. That's the amount of work that we're putting into this thing. And what Arnie's doing and Stacey's doing at the shop 
they don't want to come up here and ride around. They, they want trophies too. And I believe that was the first time I back to back won the following week. And Curly just walked by me, madder than hell, won't even speak to me. And I was like, okay, well, at least I'm not thrown out. That's a good sign. <laughs> so, but uh, we ended up getting, I think it was the Milk Bowl was the final one that year that we won. Um, so it was, it's, it was an awesome season for, for the rookie year, that's for sure. Um, still a lot of those races that I remember like they were yesterday. And how old were you at that point? Oh, uh, that was, I think, 07. So I was a couple years out of high school. That intimidating? The the curly cut the shit like you're in the principal's office? At first, yes. And then it then it kind of went away pretty quick because I'd already seen a lot of stuff on how things work. Um with being up there with my brother, right, running the tiger cars, you kind of saw what was kind of, what was happening, um, the way he was with some people. So at first it was like, Well, I don't even know what I did wrong. And then shortly afterwards, it's like, oh, it's just curly, just keep doing what you're doing. If it's wrong, he'll come find you again. So it's one of those things that you don't usually forget about it, but it's it makes for a good story after the fact. Did it? Did you think about it? Or did you think like, oh, maybe I should lift a little bit? Not a chance. I think yeah, even good. today for anybody, that's <laughs> that just gives you more drive. You just want to do more. <laughs> If uh, after that talk, if I could have won 10 races that year, I'd have gone for 10, but <laughs> it uh, it just makes you want to go after it that much more. Yeah. Now your brother, Tommy is, is a winning tiger driver at the same time. Um, you know, he was really in his stride um, at that right. point while you were coming up through. Um, and then the next year you moved up and you're racing against him. What's that like into the tigers? It was stressful. Um, not going to lie. That was the year that we bought the Nick Sweet chassis. Right. Um, so we're coming off. Nick had just come off his championship with it. So we're coming off with an extremely good car. Uh, they had Tommy's running really well at that point, too. And uh, I remember my father's biggest thing was the cars need to look good. It's you got people's name on the side of it. You need to make sure they look good. Um, you're representing them them as well as yourself. We go out for the first open practice and I'm just following my brother around, just trying to get used to it. We're both going really good. Somebody in front of him besides they're going to pit at the last minute and I rail him in the ass. Buckle up my hood, buckle up the back bumper on his. And it's just, before I even get in the pits, I'm just thinking like, I'm dead. They're going to kill me. I just scratched his car. I messed mine all up. This is, this is horrible. I hate it. I want to go home. Um, but it's, it was a nice welcoming, that's for sure. I found out that the Tiger cars are not very easy to see through, to see what's happening in front of the guy in front of you. That's when they just barely switched over to the new fiberglass bodies at the time from Five Star. So it's it was a nice welcome from there. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's when we had both cars out of my, my father's shop at home, which is just a two-bay garage. So it's the cars are side-by-side. Side and every night working on them, trying to make them better, trying to make them look good. And uh, we had a couple good runs together to where I don't remember if it was which year it was. I know we did have one night where we finished first and second with each other, which was extremely cool. That's, that's a race that I won't forget for a long time. And what made it even 
cooler that night is Eric Bedore is the one that actually finished third with us. Right. Um, so that was pretty cool to kind of tie us all back together. Um, but it was, it was fun. You have kind of a, a different amount of respect for, for not only a sibling, but knowing that if you wreck his car, he's probably going to make you fix it. So it's, <laughs> and at that time too, we had the, uh, the tiger tour that was traveling around. We tried to do a lot of that as much as possible. Um, so that was a lot of fun to be able to do that as, as a family, basically. So what was the difference for you, at least in the learning curve from carts to street stocks, as opposed to street stocks to tigers? So the biggest thing that you hear a lot about is the front wheel drive stuff, um, with, with the Daytona that we had in the street stocks, if, if somebody got into the back of you, the only thing you had to do is floor it. It'd pull yourself out of it. Um, the Tigers with the rear wheel drive was not the case. If somebody got into you, obviously, you know, you guys know what happens where you start to slide, sometimes go around, stuff like that. You're dealing with a lot heavier car, um, a lot higher center of gravity. So you have a lot more roll than them to what I was used to and really didn't get the I thought I got the cart feeling back when I got into a late model for the first time. Like this thing turns on a dime until I got into one of the super late models. Then I realized that the late models do not turn worth crap. The super late models are like a go-kart. So it, it was interesting. Each one has its own learning curve. Um, but it's all part of the challenge going from, going from one to the other. And that's kind of what I strived off of, of, how do I now get good at this? I mean, as you guys said, I had success in the street stocks fairly early. Um, so when I moved into the Tigers, I did win a race my rookie year, but I'd only won one race and I wanted more. I wanted to do better. I wanted to consistent, consistently finish better. And at that time, the, the Tiger field was strong when I first got into the Tigers. It kind of dwindled down quite a bit when I'd gotten out of them. But when I first got into it, it was it was very healthy division like what they have today. So it was it was tough to begin with. And a lot of it was beating myself up over not doing as good as I think I should be. You beat yourself up maybe over over your results, but you beat the back bumpers off some cars, too. Um, On occasion. <laughs> yeah, and, and that nickname was was earned. The bad boy. Um, you know, you you uh, you had a lot of guys mad at you all the time, <laughs> and fans too. It was fun to watch. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, you 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 were known as as a bull and jammer. Yeah, it uh, it got me some good finishes, and it cost me some really good finishes too. Um, patience wasn't something that I was very well known for, um, and. Uh, as you said, it, it, it got some noise. I'll admit that. Um, especially with the tiger tour when we traveled around for those races, that's when the tigers always did out of car intros and, uh, usually you could tell who was happy, who wasn't happy. Um, but, uh, yeah, some, sometimes it paid off and sometimes it didn't. That's for sure. It's funny because, well, as a communications major, I love a good alliteration so it rolls off the tongue, and I remember when you were running for your for the track championship in the late models. Justin and I did a lot of races at Thunder Road that year, and we kept hitting the nickname. And 
at one point, Ken Squire pulled us to the side and said, stop fucking calling him the bad boy because people are going to think he's an asshole. <laughs> and he's up at the top of the points. So we had to back off on using it at that yeah, point. I, that. I, I wonder if your driving style in that time was a result of the success that you had in the street stocks where you were used to winning. I mean, it was like every other week at one point as a rookie. Um, and then you get into the Tigers and you expect to win because that's what you're used to doing and out of the go-karts as well. Um, and like you said, it's a lot tougher there. Was that part of the problem? Yeah, definitely. It. Uh, we were fortunate enough that every time we showed up with the street stock, it was fast. We We would lay down fast laps. We would be able to pass cars with relative ease at that point. Um, and then we got into the Tigers and it's, you, you weren't the guy anymore. Um, so there's, there was other guys that were bowling and jamming through everybody. So it wasn't like I could just go up there and just beat my way through because before I could even think about it, somebody was doing it to me. Um, so at that point, it's like, Oh man, this is frustrating. And then. No more than I get it done. I'm trying to do it to the next guy. So just following suit with it. And so it was discouraging that what I was used to being able to do and what I knew how to do fairly well the year before that wasn't working anymore. It was, it was being patient and taking care of what I had or having an extremely long week with late nights in the garage trying to get ready for the following week. Did any other drivers outside of kind of that immediate circle of your group, did any of those guys kind of take you under the wing? Like, Hey, maybe try, try this, maybe try easing off a little bit on that. It was, it's weird because kind of shortly after getting into the Tigers is when I met Pete Dudo. Um, so a lot of, a lot of the drivers that I would talk to at that time was, was people like your Phil Scott, uh, Dave Pembroke at the time, which was winning almost everything that was happening in the Northeast yep. with those guys. And then obviously I started working with Brad Layton at the time. And so a lot of the stuff at that point was those were the guys I was talking to, not really the other Tiger drivers. Um, and there was, there was a few times where it's like, where I, I was told that, just take it easy. If you finish fifth tonight, it's not a big deal. And it's a question to, to myself of why should I be happy with fifth if I can try to go for first? But it turned out that finishing fifth wasn't that bad of a thing after a while because <laughs> I was actually finishing at that point. Um, that's where I think I got the most help from is being able to talk to guys like that. There was, um, you know, I'm a stats guy. And if you look at your, your win tally, there's a real clear progression of your maturation process process as you're, you know, it, it took you five years to win a championship in the Tigers. I mean, you were still a young guy when you did it, but I think people maybe forget that your rise through that class was not as meteoric as it was with the street stocks by any means, or certainly with a late model. I mean um, it did, it took you five years to settle down and, and win that title, but you got to the point where you're winning more frequently and, and finishing more races and, and not tearing the car up and, and learning how to be a, a, a points racer as much as a winner. Yeah, exactly. And kind of one of the stats that 
I've always held myself to is regardless of what I'm racing, I've been able to win in a form of racing at least once every year. And then the last two or three years I ran the Tigers, it was getting a couple wins a year. Um, and it's ironically, it's been, it was five years from when I won my street stock championship to when I won my Tiger championship. Then it was another five years from the Tigers to the late model. Championship. Right. So it's, it seems like five years is a magic number for me. Um, but it's, it is different each time you get into it. You're racing with different people. Um, and for myself, it's, it was tough when I first got into the Tigers to get to the point of being successful. Um, the late models, when we first got into that, we were able to get a win our rookie season over at White Mountain as well. But it still, it took several years to get to the point of where, when we showed up, we felt like we had a chance to win. Um, so that's that. That was the hardest part of showing up and having people think, "Oh, it's just it's just car count now. It's not like he's going to be a threat." Um, so it's it pushes you to work harder at the track and at home. Um, having your stuff be good. You don't want mechanical failures, anything like that that can be prevented. Um, but also being smarter behind the wheel. That was that was huge for me is knowing when a lift is actually going to pay off versus taking the risk on lap five of a 50 lap race. So end up cutting down your own tire or taking yourself out of the race completely. There's there's very minimal points you can win by sitting in the pits, watching the checkered flag fall. Would you have been happy moving on to the late models had you not won that tiger championship no honestly i wouldn't have been happy moving up to the tigers without the street stock either um it uh i know i know a lot of guys do that with the ladder program that was built by curly and ken at thunder road um that's why they have the division staggered the way they do for progression to move up to late models um but for myself being successful in what i'm in is is very key for me to be able to go past that. Um, one of the biggest, biggest things of winning the late model championship at Thunder Road was the question I was asked a million times over was, are you coming back to defend it next year? And it's not that I don't approve of somebody doing that, but in my book, I had proven what I wanted to prove. I was able to win that championship. And then we went after and kind of did a scattered schedule with the tour races and Thunder Road races and kind of wherever we wanted to. Back then it was Devil's Bowl was asphalt, Airborne was asphalt. Um, we were able to bounce around a lot. Do you think, just curious if you think some of these guys, younger guys, and no names needed or anything like that, are progressing almost a little too quickly, and that's why there's more struggles in the late models? I do think so. Um, I think that, and that's kind of, it goes back to what I, what my feeling was is I wanted to be successful before I moved. Um, And I do feel like there are some people that have jumped too quick and there's, there's no doubt that there's people out there right now that can move with ease and they haven't yet. Um, You take, take Caden Fisher, for example, at Thunder Road, the kid is phenomenal in a street stock. He goes over to White Mountain. He's awesome in a Tiger car. In 
however they want to do that with him. But he's he's definitely mature enough to continue going, whether he has a championship or not. It's just however they want to handle that. Um, but there's there's definitely been people that have moved up that probably should have done another year in the lower division. But if they have the team behind them and the funding behind them to do it, then by all means, it's everybody kind of has their own goals when it comes to local short track racing anyways and whatever they want to do from there after the fact. And how much of that is just almost a confidence builder, almost more so than skill, just to get that championship, the confidence it brings moving up? 99% of that was was on was for me too that's that was the biggest thing is having the confidence to know okay okay i conquered i conquered a whole summer in that division and i came out on top now i can go and even when we got to the point of winning a couple races a year in the tigers is i was enjoying it at the time i was enjoying being successful but i hadn't gotten what i wanted yet that was a championship um and kind of once that time come when i did win the championship all the other eggs lined up for me to where doors had opened, um, which is where I am now at Fast on Motorsports with Pete. So everything everything happens for a reason. I'm a firm believer in that. And being able to have stuff happen at the right time has has allowed me to continue doing what I love doing in racing all summer long. What if you had not won that championship in 2012 in the Tigers? Would you have moved up or would you have stuck around? I mean, were you already on the path and, and you already knew that you were going to be in a late model in 13 or, or would you have hit the brakes? I did not know I was going to be in a late model in 13. Um, I know that we had done a couple races already, which I think by having a couple races in the late model helped me more than a lot of people would realize by running the late model than going back and running a tiger car sure. and same thing vice versa with say you're running a street stock and you have a chance to run a tiger car a couple of times when you get back in the street stock it's it's going to be easier you may not realize it when you're doing it but it is going to be easier for you um, so i think that was one of the big things that helped me the championship year that we ran the tigers is being able to have that little amount of experience um, and once you go from running with the late model guys, it, it's a whole different ball game. It gives you a whole different pers- perspective on how to race when you're dealing with cars like that. So to get back into the Tiger cars, it, it allowed me to be a lot more patient without having to remind myself to be patient. It was just kind of, it was happening. Stuff was clicking that year. Um, so had I moved up, if I didn't win the Tiger championship, it's hard to say. Um, but I'm happy that it played out the way it did. That's for sure. I'll piggyback on Tom's earlier question. When you arrived in the late models in 2013, did you have a reputation or did, did people take you under their wing or, I mean, cause you were still the bad boy and it was still, you know, the car was black and you were, you were ruffling feathers and all that. I mean, you were a much smoother, more calculated racer. Obviously you won a championship and that takes a different caliber of driver, but, um, you know, there was this whole aura around you. Did, did anybody, were they accepting of you as a driver? I, and I, I know that you were working with Pete Dudo and you knew all these guys already, but it's a different thing when you're racing against them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely working with, with Pete was, 
it made the transition a lot easier because as you said, I knew, I knew a lot of people. I knew the Thunder Road pits, especially, um, traveling around, helping out on the crew when Brad Layton was driving for Pete. It allowed me to get to know a lot of the tour guys as well. Um, so when we first got into the late models, um, the first race that I actually ran was over at Canaan. That's when the car was all bright green. And I honestly do not remember where I finished. I know we had a decent race, but there was not a panel on that car that did not need to be replaced. And I'm kind of like, oh, no, at least we had a good run. And I remember Pete being extremely upset that the body's just destroyed on the car. Yeah. It's like, okay, can't do that again. So that's that's lesson number one is we need to keep the car in better shape. Um, but it, it goes back to kind of having those same group of guys. I mean, the customer base that Pete had um, was definitely a lot easier to be able to talk to those guys, both at the shop if they showed up to get stuff, but then also at the racetrack as well. Um, so it was, it was, it was easy on that side of it, but it was challenging on the car side of it for sure. It was, it was a completely different game from what I was used to as far as adjustments go, as far as the races go. We're not running just 35 lap features anymore. Um, at that point is the act tour was sending cars home. So the heat races were like just complete cutthroat just to be able to get in the show. Um, so it's, it was a steep learning curve at that point, but, uh, I'm glad that things happened the way they did because that's what led us to be successful years after that as well. How important is that? I mean, we talked to Brandon Lanfear a few weeks ago and he talked about how Richard Green and those guys were fully on board and understood that he's clearly not Scott and there's going to be a learning curve for him and they set realistic expectations and they're great with him when he doesn't have a bad finish. And that helps him kind of keep moving forward and not like build confidence. Kind of like you said, how important was that for you to have a group around you that kind of understood where you were and who you were at the time? Uh, Extremely important. And I think that goes for not only racing, um, but any sport really. I mean, if, if everybody allows you to get down on yourself, it's, it's probably not going to last very long. Um, there's, there's always stuff that happens that if it's my fault and I did something wrong, I want somebody to call me out on it. And if something went well, then the only way I'm going to know about it is if somebody tells me that it went well, you know? So it's, Having the confidence. You got, a, you got the good guy in Pete to do that. I mean, he's not going to mince words with you. No, I'm, there's, there's no filter there. Right. right. <laughs> so if, if I, uh, if I do something, I'm going to know about it real quick. Um, so it's, it, uh, I think that was one of the things that helped though. It, it definitely, it definitely let me know what was right, what was wrong right from the get go. Today's podcast is brought to you by Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering. All the logos for Uncommon Deeds, that was Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. Those sweet, sweet, sweet decals we've sent out to our listeners, Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl. 
Established in 2005, they do logo design, consultations, office, truck, motorsports, you name it, they can do it. They had over 30 teams using their stuff this season. They're open by appointment in Williamstown. You can give them a call, 802-249-3763. And send them an email, jpmassetti at gmail.com. You can find them on Facebook at Paul Massetti. That's Massetti, M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I. Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering, designed to win. We, we haven't talked a lot about Pete Dudo on this show, and that's a, that's a shame. Um, I would love to have him on this show. I don't know if he'd do it, but <laughs> it would be great. We, it, it would be great, <laughs> and I think we should push for it. <laughs> I think we should. I really do. Um, but, you know, he is a he can be a tough nut to crack. Um, but when you are able to get in there, um, there's nobody better. Uh, he, he is a brilliant, brilliant man. Um, and he's funny as hell. Um, so just how did that relationship come about? Because, you know, that's a (laughs) Phil Scott's your teammate, Brad Layton's your teammate. I mean, that's pretty, pretty slim pickings out there to, to fill those shoes. And and you happen to be the guy. Yeah, exactly. That's, um, just kind of piggybacking what you're saying is if, there's no doubt in my mind that if it wasn't for Pete, we wouldn't be here talking right now because I wouldn't be racing and I would have been done racing a long time ago. <laughs> so it uh, definitely, definitely owe a lot to him. Um, but uh, when the conversation came out that, that Brad was going to start stepping away at that point, myself and Derek were Derek O'Donnell were working yeah, Derek with O'Donnell. Pete. Jeez. Yeah. Um, we were, we were both working with Pete and, when Brad decided to step away, Derek had made the decision that he was going to get his own plate model. And that pretty much left, left me to race with Pete. Um, so that, like you said, filling those shoes, those are pretty big shoes to have to fill of following behind Bradley. And after all the success he had, he has had local level level and above. Um, so that alone was a little bit stressful uh, to be able to do that. And even still today, when people find out, you know, okay, we share a shop with Phil Scott. It's like, Oh my God, how do you do that? It's, I don't, I don't look at Phil Scott as the governor of Vermont. He's, that's not who he is to me. He's, he's a great guy that you can have an open conversation with. You can joke with. And if you give him shit about anything, good odds are you're going to get it back. So it's, He's mm-hmm. just, he's another racer. Um, but it's still, still big shoes to be surrounded by, um, each week. How much did, especially those early years, pre governor Phil, did you, did you learn from him every week? Cause that was at a point when he was still right at the top of, you know, the Thunder Road who's who's list. Yeah, definitely. It uh, you look back at what what Phil accomplished, and one of the biggest things that sticks in my mind is how he won the Thunder Road Championship, the Airborne Championship, and the Act Tour Championship all in one year. Yes. And to think of somebody being able to do that 
in today's racing world is unheard of. Um, these guys are racing minimum of three nights a week, just chasing trophies. And uh, to be able to do something of that feat is amazing. And uh, Phil was Phil was awesome when I got into the late model stuff. He he helped me a ton, both at the track when he'd stop by the shop and after a race when I'd beaten myself up over something that happened and he would, he would tell me, okay, this is what happened. This is what I heard, or this is what I saw online. Can't do that. Or don't worry about it. It's a racing deal. Go to the next one. So it's, it's just having somebody like that in your corner too. That's, that's a huge, a huge thing of sometimes with what we're doing, it's not your fault. It's not your problem. There's nothing you can do to avoid it. Get over it and move on. Um, but just being able to have somebody to say that that's been around it for so long is, is important. Are you one of those guys who, who by nature doesn't get over it and doesn't move on? You just dwell on it. I'll dwell on it for a long time. <laughs> it, uh, there's still races today that I think about and I kick myself in the ass for not doing something different. Um, and obviously, the best way to try to get over some stuff is to go back and kick ass the next time. But there's still some that, that sit in the back of your head that you wished would have gone differently. I know but, exactly what you're going to talk about. And we're we're going to we're, no, on no. <laughs> you would you would ask me what was off limits. I'm going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, there's there's always stuff that you wish you would have done differently, and that. Uh, that's what that is. And you move on to the next one and try to go get the next one. So that's all you can really do. It's over with, and you got to keep going. So yeah, no, <laughs> we got to talk about it. <laughs> no, and the I'm milk bowl, about it. Uh, the milk bowl. It was so one will, of the best goddamn races I've ever seen. I yeah, will you didn't you win that. it. I know you didn't win it. And I know that it was it's store, but Jesus, what a show. And it was, what, 2018 with you and Jason Corliss. So I can say that from a fan standpoint of view, it's got to be one of the best badass races there is. Yeah. From the guy that finished second, it sucked. <laughs> so, sure it did. But. Before, but, hey, you made the greatest save I've ever seen on the backstretch <laughs> after the race was over. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I can say about that is that one is – has burned so much that to this day I have not watched highlight reels, the full race, nothing of that race. It's just social media was hard after that one to the fact of we're just get off it. I don't want to see nothing. I don't want to hear nothing. I don't want to read nothing is go to work, put your head down and get over it. And uh, that's one of the things that I've still, even to this day, I, I don't watch any of it. And any other race, I will, I'll spend all day on my phone. I'll watch all of them. <laughs> but that particular one, I, I just don't have any interest. I I could probably recite the last lap, especially with without even having to think twice about it. So it's like, as far as I'm concerned, I, I know what happened. I saw what happened. I don't need to see it on TV. I was going to say, so, you are uh, you were always a frequent buyer of the CVT Sport DVDs, <laughs> DVDs next week. I can I tell you that my bookshelf for those DVDs has an empty slot in it. <laughs> <laughs> but well, the best thing for that is, like we were just talking about, to is win the next year, come back, 
yeah with a uh, little bit different mindset and and get at that time so without we won't we won't hit on that one any harder if we don't need to <laughs> uh but we always like to ask kind of what was your first impression of the milk bowl the first year you yeah you ran it intimidating it it's crazy you you roll out you know that once you roll through the pit gate, every single person that's sitting in those stands is staring at your car and you. If you mess up, it's not like, oh, good thing he was running 20th. Nobody saw that. If you mess up, you're done. Like They are going to just tear you apart. And you have two laps to make it right. And kind of being able to watch the late models at that point up until running that, it's Everybody has their own technique of going out and being able to throw down a fast lap during time trials. It doesn't matter. You can be the fastest car in practice all day long. And you go out and you time trial like 15th to 18th range. And it sucks when you do that because you think you have a great car, but you don't realize that your great car in practice, you're throwing down your fast lap on lap seven, not lap two. So it, uh, it changes things a lot. And then just the amount of stress that goes along with at that point, they're sending, I'd say probably 15 to 20 cars home that they're not even going to get a chance to race. Their B feature is going to be what they consider as their feature because they have no chance of making the big show. Um, and you do not want to be one of those cars that has, or one of those teams that has the back door closed on the trailer when they're lining up the feature. Cause that is a crappy feeling to have to sit in the stands after spending all weekend at the track to try to race. Um, so it's definitely, you put a lot of pressure on yourself and from a crew guy standpoint too, of being on both sides of one of those races, there's just as much pressure on them too. And uh, it's, it's definitely a unique race that still to this day, after so many years holds holds so much prestige to a single event for a track tucked away up in the Northeast. You nailed it every time, basically. I mean, you won it in the, in the street stock, you won it in the tiger with still one of the greatest passes I've ever seen three wide on the outside. (laughs) I will never forget that pass. I know, you know, the one I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And see, that's a video that I, I actually saw that video pop up probably like a month ago, somebody had it on Facebook. I do not remember who it was off the top of my head, but that video popped up. It's like, Oh, that was a fun day. (laughs) I mean, you were just like, I'm not waiting for this shit to happen. I'm just going to do it. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, But, but you figured out the segment racing and the aggression that you have to use and the patience all at the same time. And you were not one of those guys with the trailer door closed as a rookie in the late models. You got a top 10 in the milk pool, your first try. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a huge thing and kind of going back to qualifying. And one of the things that I've I've messed up the past few years is when they give you a warm-up lap at Thunder Road, you got the people that go out there, shake the car down like crazy, real nice and slow, get a lot of heat in the front tires. And I I'm the type of person that's fully against that. I want to get out there, I want to get going. And we had two or three years right in a row that my warm-up lap was my fastest lap of time trialing. It's like, no, that's, that's not how it's supposed to go. So 
it's it's such a fine line to to doing it right and uh it it just adds a whole nother element because in the north we don't do time trials you get down south and that's all those guys do down there so they they have it down to a science but for for us up here it uh it's it's a whole different element to add to a stressful race to begin with plus you never know what you're gonna get year to year i feel like Justin and I, we've called races where it was like 85 in October yes. having the race, and we've been there when there was a snow delay. Correct. Yeah. That That's the worst part is being able to plan for what you're going to have. I mean, the Tiger race that you were just talking about, Justin, if I remember correctly, that one got canceled like twice after we ran the first day. So we had our first segment done, and then it was almost like a month later, it seems like, before yeah. we even got to run the second segment of our Tiger feature. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and there was one that I think you were probably still in the Tiger that uh, got snowed or rained out, and they ran it like Thanksgiving or some, some <laughs> yeah. Halloween. It was like Halloween weekend. Yeah. Maybe that was the one. Um, but there was a, a year that um, they ran – airborne on saturday and condensed the milk bowl into a sunday show and we ran back to back wow. yeah it's crazy yeah um weird weather that time of year yeah so, it's kind of it's the same as the uh the first race of the year for the car show and stuff i mean i can remember several times of standing up there at the car show and it's snowing like crazy yeah, yeah. So you just you never know what you're gonna get the roll of the okay, dice so, on lee speedway exactly <laughs> yeah yeah okay so we talked about, you know, the, the loss of the milk bowl. Let's talk about the win of the milk bowl. Um, because you did it the next year. You did it with one of the lowest scores in the modern era. I mean, since Brian Hoare had four points, you know, 25 years ago. Um, you've got this thing figured out. Yeah, it's – there's so much – in. I tell people this too all the time when they talk about the milk bowl, there's so much luck that goes along with that single race that it's, it's crazy to think. I mean, you have to have a fast car. You got to be able to maneuver through traffic when they invert and stuff like that, but there's so much luck. And one of the things that I remember thinking during the milk bowl race is I believe between all three segments, I was only on the outside of a restart one time. And they tore up some stuff that year. And remember thinking to myself, like, is this really happening? Are we really going to restart every single time on the bottom and pick off cars this easy? And uh, we, it got to a point of where the milk bowl is very high on Pete Dudo's list as well. So I can, I've gotten to the point now that I learned very quickly is I can tell how stuff's happening by the way he's spotting for me. Um, the tone of his voice changes drastically. And at this time, Derek O'Donnell's working with us and we're getting into good positions, both in the second segment and in the third segment. And they're, they're more or less talking to each other on the radio while I'm listening to it all of, do we go try to, do we go further? Do we, you know, we're, we're up to fourth. Do we want to try to go after third? And, Pete saying go, Derek saying don't go, then Derek saying go get them, and Pete saying no, just you're fine right there, we're good, we're good. So it's like it, it was so a shut lot, up, guys. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot going on um, that year, but it just everything 
just seemed like it was going absolutely perfect, which you don't hardly ever get that for a race, much less three races all on the same day at the same track. So it's just everything has to line up. You got to have a good car. You have to have a good team behind you. And I can tell you that winning the Milk Bowl is it ranks right up there as being the biggest accomplishment I have in a race car in general. Um, the, the amount of prestige that goes along with the milk ball Thunder Road is just, it's unlike anything else. I mean, we had Bubba Pollard come that year because he seen the stuff on Speed 51. He had seen this, the milk ball race on other forms of social media and he wanted to experience it. Um, so to be able to get the media attention across the country off one race is huge. So to be able to, you know, have the headlines read that I had finally won the race is, it's pretty cool. It's, it's certainly nothing that you forget anytime soon by any means. And you've had a lot of big wins since then. I even, re- I remember because I, I was there the first fall brawl when Joey had taken over and turned it into 51 there was, I think, like 48 cars pulled in for that show. And there were some massive accidents early. But yeah, you and- so So I have, off the top of my head, I have three races that I will never forget. And that is definitely one of them. Um, to be able to have Patrick LaPearl is one of the guys, when I first started racing late models, I have gotten along with amazing with he's, he's an awesome guy, his brother, his whole crew, but Patrick in general, it doesn't matter what racetrack I went to. We always found each other. And he, he's one of those guys that would tell me after a race, like, Hey, hold your head up. Of course I can't say it the way he says it, but (laughs) hold your head up. I'll see you at the next one. And uh, that first fall brawl race, I had botched one of the last restarts and he had me almost cleared going into turn one. And I sent that car down through the dirt up across the track just to get back in front of him. And there was like three or four laps to go. But throughout that race, me and him had one of the best battles that I've ever had in a race car. And to be able to do it with somebody like him to know that we can be as rough as we need to be and know that I'm not going to end up getting turned around backwards because he just got fed up and pissed off at the time is probably the most fun thing you could ever do. And luckily we came out on top with that one, but, uh, and I honestly don't know if there's anybody more excited than him after the race either. He, he was, he was absolutely thrilled that I won it and he was happy with the battle. Obviously he would have loved the money too, but it uh it was huge to be able to run with him the way that we run and be aggressive and race extremely hard but at the same time it's all clean it's it's not going to get carried away and uh that's that is certainly on my top 3 list for sure what are the other two <laughs> since we're talking about it <laughs> the uh the milk wall win finally getting yeah, that one and then also the thompson world series yeah so that that weekend was more or less 
total hell <laughs> from the the trip down there, um, wrecking the truck and trailer and everything, to having Bruce Bernhardt with Hellowell come and rescue us uh, with his truck just to get the trailer to the track. Um, and we led a total of middle of turn three and four to the start finish line of the whole race. And that was it. But that's the only lap that counted. So that, I was good with that. We were, uh, it was the first time I'd ever seen Thompson. Um, uh, it was intimidating at first just because of the way people talked about it of, you know, you, you've basically got to be a Teddy Christopher to think you're ever going to be successful at, at a place like Thompson because it will just scare the living shit out of you. And that was the first race when Derek had come back from North Carolina and had worked with us on. And we went out and it, all we had was one practice. That's it. And I don't remember if it was like a 40 or 45 minute practice. And we're going through just firing stuff through the car, just trying different things. And I fell in love with the place immediately. It has the banking of Thunder Road, but a ton of speed. And, uh, and I remember Pete being on the radio saying, okay, we're, we're doing okay. And he starts reading off lap times. And that's one of the things I use even to this day is I want to know more or less what I'm running, especially like a place like Thunder Road where I'm at a lot. I know where I need to be. I don't need to be at the top of the list, but I know where my times need to be to make it work. And at Thompson, that I had no idea what I needed to be. So we're almost done the practice. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, well, hopefully we're, we're mid-pack at this point. And he comes on and then starts telling me like, okay, you're, you're, your fast guys everywhere they go, this is what they're running versus what you're running. It's like, holy shit, we're, we're pretty fast right now then. Um, but Thompson's one of those places too that it, it reminds you a lot of Loudon only in the sense that you can get sucked into a position to get absolutely murdered going down the straightaway. You can dive underneath somebody and think you're setting the world on fire. And then next thing you know, they're 10 car lengths away from you down the straightaway. Yeah. So that was one of the hardest points to try to, learn to not get sucked into doing that to people. Um, but towards the end of the race there, when we had the option or we had a couple late restarts and had a massive run coming off turn two and just went down to turn three and held my line. And uh, to be able to come out of turn four to see the checkered and knowing the prestige of the world series at Thompson to win it on our first try going there was, is definitely huge. That's, that is uh, something I won't forget. That's, that's one of the few trophies that I'm allowed to have up in the main part of the house that don't have to get tucked in the bedroom or the basement. So that's, uh, that's huge for me. That's good. <laughs> um, so, so to go to that, basically I had the milk bowl trophy and the Thompson trophy. And my first fall brawl trophy. That is what is on our in our living room slash kitchen. So every every other one is tucked away. Wow, That's, you could do a lot worse than those three trophies. Trust me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm curious. You mentioned a lot of names, you know, throughout this, and we're coming up on Labor Day Classic weekend. Is and your it birthday? By the way, yeah, yeah. Happy birthday! Thank you. Yeah. Uh, is it weird or cool or what's it like for you now that you're at that place where I just saw it 
today on Facebook or something where Thunder Road or ACT is doing the advertisement for the race, and it's not a Hellowell name. It's not those names. It is Bobby Therian will be there, and it's your name they're using to draw in fans and excite fans for the race. It's definitely crazy. Um, And kind of to go off of that, too, one of the pictures that I have down in my shop downstairs is one of the fall brawl flyers that it lists out a whole bunch of drivers and that are coming to the race and returning fall brawl champion in completely different colors is my name. And that's one of them that I have framed um, downstairs that just, it's weird. It's still weird to this day. Um, And then like you're saying, the, uh, the advertisements of saying that we're going to be there. And it's it's a little bit more weird this year, only for the reason of we haven't actually raced that much. We uh, last, this past Saturday, is the first race we've done outside of Thunder Road this year, other than Hickory back in the spring or last winter, I guess you could call it. Um, so we, we haven't done a lot of racing, but to still see stuff like that, it it ironically is a confidence booster um, to know that you're, you're known as a, as a threat coming into it too. Um, So it kind of, it could play both ways. It it puts pressure on knowing that you're expected to do really good. So hopefully that's the case and that's what happens, but it's, it is also a confidence booster too, to know that, uh, that they're using your name to try to sell tickets as being part of the good show. Does that carry any weight when you run with the past tour? Do they give a damn that you've won the milk bowl or are you just another kid? I don't think they there? give a shit at all. Okay. Much. Um, no, it's we, we started off the past racing and we were competitive, but we weren't a threat. Um, then we kind of went through a few years of a slump to where we could get a heat race win, but that was about it. Come future time, we were in trouble. Um, and this past year at Thunder Road for the Milk Bowl Friday, when we had that pass race, is probably one of the stronger runs that we've had in those cars in a long time. And we had a mechanical failure. So the biggest item on my bucket list is I so badly want to win a pass race. I think that's what's making it even harder on myself is that is the only form of a race car that I've been in that I have not been successful. Um, so it's, it eats away at me. Um, but it's also with those group of guys, you're not going to race once a year and expect to beat them. Um, so we don't, we don't run our pass car very often and to be competitive with those guys, you, you have to be on your game. If you're off a tiny bit, there's going to be three or four other guys that are not and the race is going to be decided between them. Um, so it's, it's one of those things I want really bad, but it's also one of the things that at this point in time, I don't feel like myself deserves it yet because we still have time to put in to get better at it. Um, there's When it comes to those cars versus the late models, there's so much more that you can do to those cars to make them better, and it's so much easier to make them worse. 
So that's, that's one of the toughest things. And it's, it's just keep, keep fighting every time. And hopefully the next race gets a little bit better. Uh, we've had, we've had good runs at Thunder Road with them. We've had good runs other places. It's just haven't been able to put the full package together. Now you say that you can't just hop in a car and, and expect to beat the regulars, but I've seen you do it in a modified, <laughs> in a dirt modified on asphalt. <laughs> and apparently you've picked up dirt racing too. I mean, uh, it seems like you're, you're kind of full of shit here. <laughs> so we ran Molly and Sean LaFountain allowed me to run one of their modifieds back when we were racing on asphalt with those cars. Um, and so much fun driving those cars because it is so much different compared to what I'm used to driving on anything else that's on asphalt. Um, we had success in that. We won, I think it was a 75 lapper for their tour series over at Airborne. Um, and when you're beating guys like Nick Haywood, Jesse Mueller, those guys, it's, Stuart it's a Friesen huge deal. Race. Yeah. It's a huge deal in modifieds. Um, so that, that race was, was pretty awesome to me. Um, and then earlier this year, I remember my, uh, my phone going off and it's, it's Molly that pops up and it's like, Hey, give me a shout when you can I'd like to talk to you. And it's like, okay, well, and I had kind of lost touch with Molly and Sean over the years. And so pick the phone up call her, and she's like, the old man wants to know if you want to come race the car. I'm like, you guys are on dirt. I've never done dirt. There's no way that's going to happen. She's like, no, no, just give him a call. It's like, all right, well, apparently he's mistaken here because there's no way that anybody is going to let me get in a dirt modified when I've never even drove any kind of a car on dirt. So I ended up talking to Sean. He was like, yeah, you know, it's Jamie. His son had decided to step away. He wanted to do some other stuff during the summertime and props to him because I haven't been able to make that decision. <laughs> um, and he's, he's decided he doesn't want to focus on racing anymore. And Sean still wants to go to the track once in a while. He's like, yeah, let's, let's go play around. We'll see how it goes. Like trying to, trying to more or less convince him like this is a horrible idea we do not want to do this <laughs> like you put way much way too much time and money into your cars to let somebody like me just hop in it and think it's not going to get destroyed so we ended up my girlfriend and i went over to a shop over in new york sat down for the night we talked and came to the conclusion of let's try it realistically what's the worst that could happen we go out for our first race and the first time out, we have hot laps, and I'm nervous as all hell. Like, this, I don't know what to expect. Other than going down to Devil's Bowl the past couple of years, watching the Modifieds down there, before that, I had been to one dirt race at Lebanon Valley when I was probably 13. That's it. Hadn't, hadn't watched any other dirt, hadn't been to any other dirt. Just, it was never really on my radar, and the only time I heard much about it is when – you guys would give me shit about running just asphalt. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, so we go over for our first race and airborne has the big tractor tires on the infield and everybody said, don't hit them. Yeah. I hit them. I'm running second. We're about probably five, six car lengths behind the kid that's leading. And sure enough, I catch it with the left front and that ended our night right there. So spent a good week really 
really kicking myself in the ass. Like, why did you, why'd you try to get that much out of it? It was perfectly fine. You should have just been smarter. Um, so Sean had gotten the car fixed back up. We went back, I think it was a couple weeks after that and just everything was perfect. It, the car was fast. I was not making nearly as many mistakes as I was the first time and we were able to win the race. And to now say that I've won on dirt and asphalt is, is kind of crazy to think about because even, even outside people that go to racing know that pretty much I'm, I've always been stuck to asphalt. That's all I've ever done. Um, so a lot of guys that I see now is like, Oh, you know, how's racing going this year? Oh, it's not bad. I've been messing around in the dirt a little bit. What do you mean? You never did that before. And it's like, no. So it's, it makes for a cool story, but it's, it's people like Sean and Molly that have given me the opportunity to do stuff like that, that again, I would have never, never thought about doing it otherwise. Um, so can't thank those two enough. And it's just, it, even though we haven't raced our late model as much as summer, I've been able to do some racing outside of the asphalt world and having a ton of fun. Um, and on top of that is with Phil being able to race more this year with kind of the state getting a little bit more under control. He's, he's been able to race a lot more and being able to help on his car and sit in the stands and watch the late model racing this year is I've learned, I think more by watching the racing this year than I would have been. I would have learned if I was a part of it, I'm able to watch drivers differently than I would have, would have been able to see otherwise. Um, so I'm excited for getting into the the next couple big races at Thunder Road, the 200 and the Milk Bowl again to to hopefully be able to do good in both those races again this year. Um, with even though I haven't been at the track every week behind the wheel, is I still feel like I've been learning stuff that's going to pay off. Let me ask you, since said you're sitting, you're watching, you're learning more than you would have if you were racing. And Justin and I talked about this in the open for this show today. Can you put in perspective, or I don't know how to word it, just what Jason Corliss is doing? And do you think that he gets the credit that he probably deserves for what he's doing? There's, there's no doubt that he's, he's setting records right now with what he's been able to do with Thunder Road. Um, regardless of car count between now and 20 years ago or however people want to compare that kind of stuff on social media and stats and all that stuff is in order to be successful, you have to show up with the right mindset. You have to have a fully capable crew behind you and you have to have a very good car to do what he's doing right now. And they are putting those weeks together, which some people get those once in a lifetime. Some people are good enough to get them a couple of years, but they're putting that together every week that they show up. Um, back, I think it was the midseason double points night, which was the last race I believe I ran at Thunder Road, is seeing his car go off the track wrecked. 
that is not something you see very often. Um, so, and that's, that's what's allowed them to get to be as good as they are right now. They're not fixing a car from week to week. They're, they're making it faster. They're not spending all their time replacing body panels, stuff like that. They're, they're able to go through and what Andrew's been able to do to get that car as consistent as it is, is, is showing that's, that's why they're putting down the stats that they are right now. I, I will, I'll tread on the dangerous side of that question and ask, is his competition as good as it was even five years ago? I mean, that's, I think that's what Tom was asking is, is this all, is Jason Corliss in 2021 able to compete with uh, Phil Scott in 1998 or uh, take a, Christmas shot in the early 2000s, just dominating when there's guys who are, you know, hall of famers racing, there's, there's six or eight of them in every feature, um, you know, champions and milk bowl winners. And, you know, you know, that if you're going to win a race, you've got to beat all of those guys this year, especially, it doesn't seem like that's necessarily a lot of young guys. I, yeah. I don't, I don't mean this to be a negative thing for anybody, but there's a lot of guys that are transitioning from, also ran to contender. And that seems like um, the episode that we just did with Gene Paul Sear. I'm only that's, that's what's on my mind. Cause that's what we just did where Dave Moody was calling Gene Paul Sear a cherry picker. Is Jason Corliss a cherry picker or is he elevating the, the division as it is right now? So since you've already kind of touched on it a little bit, <laughs> I, I will say, that I don't feel like it's the same racing that we had even five years ago. Um, and I'll throw it out there that what Chris Pelkey is able to do right now with his 64 car and his 64 team yeah. is absolutely amazing. I, yeah, I right. love watching those guys every week. Chris has been driving ungodly smart. He's got the finishes to show it. Yep. Um, and I'm not, ever going to take anything away from that, but I don't feel like the competition is where it was before. Um, and a lot of people can make the argument of let's just, we'll go back through a little bit of well, Derek O'Donnell didn't have the competition he had, or before Derek, it was Nick sweet. Didn't have the competition he had. And I feel Joey, like Joey poll on the tour. A lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like one of the, one of the things like using Nick as an example is, is Nick ventured away from Thunder Road and found a lot of success. Um, and I think that's, that's a huge thing. And that's one of the, one of the things that I'm proud about as a racer is yes, I have had success at Thunder Road where I grew up racing, but I have also won at several different tracks as well in several different forms of racing. Um, so it kind of like you guys said is that you have a lot of guys that are transitioning right now into the late models and it's, it's a good clash right now as far as car count goes um, with, with people that are, are getting torn up on a, not necessarily a weekly basis, but there is, there is a lot of carnage that is happening right now. And a lot of people are blaming it because of the wall and stuff like that. And with the cars now and the track, the way it is with, I'm still going to call it new asphalt is 
stuff happens so much faster than it used to. Yes, sir. Um, if when you're coming out of turn two, your, your line is already set for turn three. There's other than wrecking, there's not much you're going to do to change that. And that is what's, what's making it hard on a lot of people. I feel like, um, is when something happens in front of you, it's just before you have the second to realize what is going on, you're in it. Um, so when, when the track was had the old worn out surface, stuff happened a lot slower. And yes, you did have the room to what I call get away. You had the room to go off the back stretch if something happened and clog the track up. You could shoot out in the dirt. Yeah. You, your stuff's going to get dirty, but you're going to come back and probably going to finish the race. Um, so you add in the mixture of the track speed picking up so much versus when something does happen, just going into turn three or whatever, if a couple cars get together, other than cutting through the grass, you're, you have no choice. Um, and that's one of the deals with our milk bowl win is there was a huge wreck in the second segment that happened at the, that started at the start finish line and ended to turn one. And one of the deals were on the bottom and we got through it. But for, for those guys that piled into that back, it's happening before they even realize what's going on is it's just, everything is so much faster now than when it used to be. And you hear that too, from guys that have been out of it for a little bit and then they come back and it's like, wow, this, this place is like just ungodly now. Um, so I think that plays a lot of the factor into the people that are coming into it as far as a little bit different of a learning curve. Um, so it's, it's tough. It, it certainly is. And I mean, the, the points battle right now at Thunder Road for the late models is, is tight. It's, so it's hard to say that somebody doesn't have competition when it is that tight and you're looking at the numbers, but I don't feel like it is what it used to be. Yeah. I, I don't think any of us are trying to disparage anybody. Um, right. but Corliss is, you know, a, he's in way his, up here. He's <laughs> in his prime. Yeah. And there's a lot of people working up to theirs or Correct. people maybe off the tail end, you know, yeah. Trampus isn't having the same finishes. He was a few years ago against you or even against Jason a couple of years that's, ago. That's true. It's and Scott dragon with his new deal is still figuring that car out. Yes. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And it's, it's tough. Cause like you guys said, I, I'm not taking anything away from anybody. It's, it's the way I feel. Um, but again, it's everything needs to happen correctly and you need to have the right people in place to be successful, regardless of where you go. Um, kind of what you guys are talking about cherry picking is I heard a lot of that towards us when we were running devil's bone airborne on a weekly basis. We, okay. We were, we were kind of given that same little nickname there as far as you're going where there's no competition. And it was, it was more or less of where me and Pete wanted to race to where we were still allowed to, or still able to run with Phil at Thunder Road at that time. Um, and we had done a couple of years of the tour stuff and the stress behind it. And when we used to roll into Devil's Bowl or Airborne, it's, there wasn't stress involved. We were, we were, going to races that we wanted to go have fun. We weren't worried about points. We weren't worried about anything. We just we wanted to show up. Our main focus was running good and having a good time. Yeah, um, so it's 
nothing it's, it's, nothing wrong with that. No, and it like you guys said, it's some people call it cherry picking and stuff like that, but it's for the sixty six team, it's it's close to home. Their their guys may not be able to travel to the other races. And if you don't have a crew to go with you, you might as well keep the car on jack stands. And he's still getting know. big wins of other places. He's getting it done at White Mountain and Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it is amazing to watch that sixty four team work. Um, you know, they have nothing and they're they're good. <laughs> I know? I couldn't agree more with you. And the the amount of time that Chris takes thinking about what he has to do to make that car better is his mind is always going in regardless of the outcome for this summer. Those guys have a lot to be proud of Um, to be able to turn their program around to be as consistent and good as they are is, is amazing. Um, They got a ton of flack for going over to the big race over at white mountain a few weeks back being the thunder road point leader. And you are coming over here to race. What is wrong with you? And how the hell do you get better? And it's exactly, that's exactly what I felt is he, he is somebody that just loves to race. And if you're going to sit home and be worried about wrecking your race car, because you might win a championship is, is not right in my book. I, I was super happy to see that he was over there. Um, he had a, a, had a pretty decent run out of the deal. Um, but it, it's the case of, you know, if, if for some reason he doesn't win the Thunder Road championship, is he going to kick himself in the ass for not going and racing that race? Cause it was on his bucket list. He wanted to do it. Um, so super proud of them for, not getting caught up in the moment and just going to do what they all want to do in that race. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to kind of keep going in a slightly different direction because you're giving fantastic answers. How difficult is it for someone like you? And I'm going to say, Nick sweet. And he said so on this podcast that he has sucked at thunder road in a late model because it hasn't been his focus. His focus is on the past cars how hard is it with those changes to Thunder Road for you guys to come in, whatever, a handful or less times a year and be fast with a Jason Corliss? It, it, extremely difficult. And that it goes back to what I feel is kind of the opposite of Nick is, is we've been halfway decent in our late model and we've sucked in our pass car because our pass car hasn't been our focus. Um, so that's kind of, it goes right back to that. It's, it's very difficult to come in and expect to be on top when you're doing it just a couple times a year. Um, so you, you've got a team like Jason and Chris and those guys that have run this track every single week, all summer long. They could probably tell you what it's going to do by whether there's cloud in the sky or sun in the sky or what the temperature is going to be and coming in just a few times a year is you're behind the eight ball. There's no doubt about it. Um, and it, it makes it that much more difficult, but that's, that's what makes you want to do better is 
you're at a disadvantage, but you want to prove that you're capable of overcoming that disadvantage. And you want to go out there and you want to win and you want to have a strong showing. Not to be rude about it, but you want to take away the thunder. You want to, you want to show that, okay, when, when there is people here, when there is competition here, we're all on the same level now. Um, and like you guys said, I'm not taking anything away from anybody that's racing up there weekly. Um, but when, when the competition is stiffer, when you have the tour guys come in, you have your DJ Shaw, your Ben Rowe, and those guys come in, they're, they're going to be the ones that could kind of make you second guess, guess yourself. Um, so going into uh, the 200 here, I'm, I'm looking forward to it just because I'm excited to get back to Thunder Road in the car. And I'm excited to get back to racing with those guys. Um, but uh, it, everything's just got to go right for, for whoever comes out on top. It's just, it's got to be a perfect day because if you're not perfect, somebody else is going to be. That's about as deep as we've ever gotten into a discussion about the current era um, on the <laughs> show. And I appreciate your candor on that. Um, and kind of just to go like even Thunder Road right now is you look at the Tiger division and those guys, I'm from somebody that came out of the Tiger division and saw what state that division was at one point And then seeing it now, it's awesome to see yeah. the battles that those guys are having now. Um, so it's, it's just the phases of going through the different divisions that's on the road. Eventually the late models are going to get to that, that again. Um, but right now it's, it's kind of the tigers that are overtaken in a little bit. I want to, I, you know, I, I feel like we've pretty much, <laughs> damn, you're good. And you've, we've covered all this in a shorter amount of time than I thought, we would. <laughs> but to sort of expand on, on Tom's question about, you being the name that they use to advertise and that you have sort of been able to look at that from a bird's eye view and realize how cool that is. You're watching races in the grandstands this year and and learning things. When you walk around the grandstands, do you notice that your name is on all four of those granite monuments that are up there? And and do you soak that in? That is, that is definitely one of the things I'm the most proud about is being able to, to when they go through the driver's lineup, like when we do on on track intros and stuff like that, and uh, and Aaron when he gets to me and he says, you know, this is this is a guy that's won this race or that race and has championships in all three divisions. It's it's kind of surreal to hear it because it's it's me that he's talking about um, to be able to drive into the track, whether it's in the truck and trailer or just my pickup and go by that first set of monuments there by the front gate and see that my name's on those um, is it's kind of, it takes you back a little bit because it's nothing I ever expected. It's nothing that I intentionally went after. Uh, that wasn't like it was my goal of I, I got to get on those monuments. Um, I do have some races that are on my bucket list that I want to win, but to be able to know that, I have my name etched in those, those stones is it's pretty cool to be able to say that, that I've able, I've been able to accomplish what I have at Thunder road. I feel like we're oh, yeah. getting towards the end of this podcast and just realized that we didn't mention the fact that you 
won a freaking championship in the late models at Thunder Road. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we glazed over that very quickly. By the way, yeah. <laughs> what do you uh, what do you remember about that season? So that was a good season. Uh, we won the championship. <laughs> so that that year, Derek was still working with us, um, and we went out. We won practice every single week. We were just we were Jason Corliss at that point. Absolutely stupid Absolutely. fast yep. on a stopwatch, and. Everybody, you know, it's like, oh, he's two tenths quicker than anybody else cheating. It's like, I wish <laughs> if, if we were, we'd be four tenths, you know? And it's, that's the funniest part of hearing stuff today is, you know, you see Jason, it's two to three tenths quicker than anybody else. Well, obviously he's cheating. It's like, I've been in those shoes. It, he's got his shit together is what the problem is. <laughs> and everybody else is chasing him. Um, but I remember, Going back to Thunder Road, like me and Pete had the discussion. We're going to start running the tour. We're going to start running Thunder Road. Whichever one we suck at more first, we're going to stop and stick to the other one. And I remember having a conversation with Chris Mashad at that time at Thunder Road, one of the first races, because at this point he doesn't have the tour. He, him and Pat have just Thunder Road. And I told him that same thing is like, you know, whatever one we suck more at, we're going to stop. We're going to focus on the other. He's like, well, I really hope you suck at tour racing. It's like, well, thanks, you know, <laughs> that's just what I wanted to hear. But he got his wish. We we sucked at the tour shows the first couple. So we we decided to go for Thunder Road. Like that's that was on everybody's agenda. Derek's back to prove a point. I'm there to prove a point. Pete really wants another championship at Thunder Road. Um, and we go out there. We're insanely fast right off the back. And uh then the time comes of let's start racing. And I went quite a few races without ever seeing a checkered flag. I was wrecking that shit every single week. And I remember Chris coming over to me one time. He's like, why aren't you finishing? It's like, well, do you see the car? It's wrecked. Yeah. Why do you keep doing that? Well, I don't, I don't know actually. <laughs> and uh, it kind of sunk in the fact of we, we've got a fast enough car. We don't, I say we, but it's, I don't need to keep doing that. Um, and we went until it was either the first or second week of July. And we had not lost a heat race or semi yet that summer. Yes. Um, and the short run speed that was built into the car was just absolutely amazing. Come heat race time. It's like just Absolutely flawless. I felt like I was playing NASCAR on a PlayStation, just in, out, in, out, gone. Um, but come feature time, it was it was a completely different game. I was I was horrible. And Tr- uh, yeah, Trampus Demers outpointed you in features by like a wide margin that year. Yeah, and but you won the title. If it wasn't for the semis that year, he'd uh, he'd have kicked our ass all the way around. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it got to a point of where it's like, I wouldn't go on. Everybody, racers will say they don't point race. But to a certain extent, I, I'll call bullshit on that. I wouldn't go on Thunder Road's website and look at the points from week to week. 
but I also felt like I didn't have to because Pete was doing it about every other hour during the day. So, <laughs> so I knew where we were at and Pete and I had a discussion and we, our goal that we needed to feel comfortable going to the last races, we wanted 30 points, like 30 points. We can breathe at that point. And it was, I think, two races to go. We had a very strong run. Tramp did not have a strong run. And we went into the last race, I think it was like 31 or 32 points. It's like, okay, now now I'm telling myself, they've they've all done what they need to do to get this hardware at the end of the year. I need to not fuck up. I need to not be stupid here. We just need to be, need to be patient. And uh, uh, be able to pull that off is is something that it's it's hard to believe really and uh it, it's cool to to like we we're talking about to be able to say that that's that's another thing that nobody's done other than myself at thunder road is all three divisions um so it it's it's strange but it's really cool at the same time to know that it's that it's me that they're talking about when that gets brought up yeah, it's pretty rarefied air for sure. Because Nick did it in the Tigers and late models. Correct. And Jason did it in the street stocks and the late models. But nobody's, other than you, put the package. It's it's going to be a very long time, I think, before anybody else can do that too. Because there's such disparity between the steps right now, financially. You know, yep. you're, you're in that division to stay for a while, the way that things are right now. Yeah, and I mean, you you take somebody like... Brendan Moody right now that's working with LaCare yeah. and he he has a championship in the street stocks and he has a championship in the Tigers and he's ironically got one of our old cars too um, but he has he has everything in place to to be able to do that too um, with uh, with Jeff LaCare working with him they there's nothing that Jeff does half-assed and they're going to continue working their ass off because their their goal is they want to win races and they want to win a championship too. So it's it's definitely something that they're fighting for to not have me just have the sole power of being able to say that I'm the only one. Are you are you rooting for that to happen or do you want to be the only guy? I want everybody to be successful when it comes to that. So if if Brandon or if Brennan was to be able to accomplish that, I can guarantee you that there will be nobody to his window quicker than myself. Um, because I know how much work went into being able to do that for myself is that's the kind of work, if not more, it's going to take for somebody else to do it too. And when you get to that point, you've earned it. Um, so by all means, I'm, I would be happier than hell to see somebody else have that much dedication pull for them and pay off. So quick hitters. First one, what is the best racing video game that you've played? Ooh, racing video game. So I'm going to go back old school. You were just talking about my birthday back at the beginning. This is probably going to show my age a little bit more, but currently I have a regular Nintendo set up in my living room. Okay. Love that thing. But the racing game that I always had is 
we had a PlayStation, a PlayStation 2 growing up. We also had an Atari and a Sega, so that's going back quite a ways. But Dirt 2 Daytona on the PlayStation is the most badass game there is to play. And I love the thing. And it was funny because we were down, I think it was at Richmond, and uh, we were in the media center, and they were questioning me about iRacing and all that stuff. And I can tell you that I never once sat in one of those, what they call rigs, I guess now, because they're getting so freaking expensive and yeah, they're out of control. Yeah. Um, and it was me and Nick Sweet sitting up there, and they asked us, you know, like, what, do you, what have you guys done on iRacing to – to prepare for today and me and nick are looking at each other like you got one of those i don't got one of those he said his wife would kick his ass if she ever caught him playing video games <laughs> and it's like i've got a playstation at home that i played dirt to daytona on that's about it <laughs> so that's definitely gonna uh that's gonna take the cake on that one. Oh god i love it so when you said answer. it, people yeah, people can't see us. But when when Bobby said dirt today, Tona both Tom, Tom and I both raised our arms and celebrated because <laughs> it's, it's the correct answer. Yeah, it's the only answer. <laughs> okay, we got an A on the first one next. Yeah. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car? <laughs> um, well, this summer we caught on fire. That sucked. That was pretty stupid, but that was a mechanical failure. Um, the dumbest thing I've ever done in a race car. I don't know if I have one thing. I mean, I, as you guys started off this with, I drove like a jackass for a little while. That was pretty <laughs> stupid. So I guess we could go with that. Did you get in trouble one time that you remember? And not just Curly saying that you're winning too much, but. Um, yes, I somewhere and I saw him probably last winter. I have a couple letters that are my banning letters that I've held on to from Curly when I've been thrown out for a week or several at a time. Um, some of them have been on track stuff. Some of them have been off track stuff, but uh, I've got a couple of those letters still saved away. It's a pretty cool keepsake actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then to, to kind of go full, full circle though is when I won my first late model race over at White Mountain, I'm at work the following Monday. A phone call comes through. I don't have a clue who it is. And it's like probably somebody calling, trying to remind me about my extended warranty on my car. So I answer the phone. Yep. And it's Tom. He wasn't at White Mountain. And just calling to say, congratulations. I'm happy you finally did it. And it's like, you sure you called the right number here? <laughs> Like, this isn't how our talks usually go. <laughs> and uh, a couple weeks after that, he gave me a picture of back in when I was either in Tigers or Street Stocks and a picture of Victory Lane at uh, White Mountain and says, just so you know, that's how far you've come. And walked away. That's it. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, thank you, um, I guess. That so, is pretty cool, though. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Finally... I had this one planned, and I feel like we might have already hit the the answer. But uh, if you could go back and run any one race over again, what would it be? Oh, boy. I'm not going to say the answer that you expect me to say, actually. So I am going to go back to 
at the time at Speedway 51 pass race. Um, I, we, I'm not, I'm not going to say I, we had a amazing car. We drove up through, we passed Ben Rowe. Now, I don't know, Justin, you probably remember when I first got my first year in the Tiger car, all yeah, yellow, yellow paint scheme, yeah. Stripes Absolutely. down the side. Ben Rowe was my idol. Yeah. So here, I just passed Ben for the lead. Caution comes out. Tom Maber is not at the track running the show. And Caution comes out, passes extremely strict on restarts. Yes. I hit turn yes. four, and I fire off. And they throw the yellow. I went too soon. They did not call green. So I come around the next time. I've slowed right down. Ben's on my outside and get almost to where I thought they were going to go. And I've got Pete in my ear telling me, go. And it's like, okay, he's listening to pass. They just said green. So I fire off again, yellow. Mm. And at that point, I knew I was screwed. Sure enough, black flag sent to the back. And I'm like, you have got to be shitting me. Like that, that was my chance. And I blew it. And I don't remember where we got up to finish. We passed some cars, got back up through a little bit. But other than Thunder Road, Speedway 51, now Groveton again, is one of my all-time favorite tracks. It is what I call a racer's track. You wheel the living shit out of whatever you're driving over there. And after the race, I go over. I talk to Ben. I'm not upset with Ben at all or anything. And I'm walking over. He just starts laughing. And I'm like, fuck, here we go. He's like, yeah, sorry. He goes, I had no intentions on going on that second restart, even if they called green. He goes, I knew you'd kick my ass out there anyway, so that was the only chance I had to get you back behind me. And I'm like, you <laughs> fucker. <laughs> so, but that just shows the amount of time that Ben has been around to yeah. know that's what's going to happen. And I – I still kick myself in the ass because I feel like if it wasn't for that, I would be able to say that I've won a pass race because the, the car was that good that night. Um, but I, I outbeat myself basically. And that's certainly one that I, I wish I could get back. So if five years is the magic number, you're due for another championship next year. So what's the plan? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do next year. Honestly, it's, we've, we've talked about it very minimal. Um, kind of, kind of the way me and Pete take things is we get through what we're going through now, as far as the last few races that we want to run. And then we start to think about it. Um, so it's, it's definitely, definitely could be anything it's the case of where it may involve a little bit more dirt racing it may involve a little bit less dirt racing it may involve being back at thunder road to tour or maybe pass it's nothing that we've really talked about yet um i've got a amazing support group behind me um both both with pete with sponsors and the guys on the crew that that it really, whatever we decide to do, those guys stick with us and those are the hard people to find. Um, so yeah. when it comes to 
running a couple times a week or running every weekend and having those guys be away from their family, that plays a lot into the factor of what we do just because everybody has a life outside of racing now. Um, so it's, it's definitely up in the air. It's stuff that we, we can put a game plan together, but it, it'll change a lot between now and then. Well, whatever it is, good luck with it. And, uh, yeah, go have fun this weekend. Yeah. I appreciate it guys. I appreciate the time. And, uh, now that I've liked your Facebook page, I promise to listen to a lot more of your episodes. <laughs> Appreciate that. Now that you know which one we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Bobby. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good night. Thanks again to the bad boy, Bobby Therian, for giving us a lot of time. We say that every week, but I feel like every week we should be thankful and grateful for the amount of time that our guests are giving us. Yeah. When we started this, we were hopeful to be able to, you know, talk to some of these people for half hour, 45 minutes. Right. And we're getting, you know, hour and a half, two, two close to three. Jeans here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are thankful and I want to keep putting that out there. Like we said in the open. A good episode there where we deep dived kind of in the broad view of the current scene at Thunder Road more so than we ever have. Yeah. And a lot of times we've kind of avoided that, I think, on purpose. Mm -hmm. One, because we don't want to make our podcasts time-sensitive. We don't do a lot of live reactions to things because we want you to be able to listen to this episode maybe a year from now and think, oh, that Bobby Therian one was good. Let me go back and listen. And we want it to make sense. So we've avoided that. And two, if we're being completely honest, we said from the beginning, this is Justin and I's, our idea, our baby. We want to do it how we want to do it. No radio station telling us who we should talk to or how we should talk or no racetrack telling us who we should talk to or who they want us to push or anything like that. And you and I are obviously very comfortable with Thunder Road drivers and history. Mm. And especially when we're working for DEV, if we did 13 races in a season, eight or nine were probably at Thunder Road. Sure. And a lot of the early chatter when we started this that bugged, and it probably shouldn't have bugged us, but it did, was everyone thought we were a Thunder Road podcast. Right. And they still do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't bug us now. But at the beginning, like, no, we clearly said this is what we're, tra- you know, so we avoided kind of talking about that stuff. And there's other podcasts that aren't as good as ours that you can listen to and get more Thunder Road information about. My opinion. No. My opinion. I'll put it out there. Shots. But with this week and, you know, Jason on a tear and having Bobby, and he had kind of led up, he had said something about watching a lot more of the races this year from the stands and getting a new perspective. And I thought, 
in the moment, I'm like, man, let's just go ahead and ask him. And if it's good, it's good. If it's not, I can edit it out. But he deep dove in, and it led in a couple different places. And I thought that was arguably the best part of the podcast. I fully agree. Yeah, that was good. And, um, you know, to Bobby's credit, I think that, uh, like I said, none of us saw that coming. Uh, we certainly didn't plan on it. And I could tell that he was a little bit uncomfortable. Um with the question, but he gave a great answer and, and I, think, I pressed him on it. You know, and there was one thing you said that made him comfortable that you kind of brought up the, Hey, I think it was something about kind of like the level of competition and not being disrespectful. And he kind of said, well, since you said it and it made him feel a little bit yeah. more comfortable yeah. and, and kind of going deeper. Yeah. I appreciated that he, he actually bit off the whole bite, you know, I think he, I think he really did, and I think he gave us his honest answer. I don't think that he was trying to bullshit us just to be PC, because I don't think Bobby Therian's ever been PC. Um, in the same token, if you're one of those freaking like aggregators who's going to take that and say, "Oh, Tom or Justin or Bobby was shitting on Jason or Chris Pelkey or hey, Chris anybody Pelkey else," sucks. let's just say it, okay, guys. Or anybody else, like, <laughs> F off. Thanks yeah, for downloading. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Thank, yes, thank you for the click, but go to hell. Because if you're no. actually listening to that, there was no disrespect to anybody throughout that no, man. that conversation. No and I, I, it's hard to not root for Chris Pelkey. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a, that's an underdog story right there. And I, I wish nothing on either team good or bad indifferent i don't care i have no horse in the race um but at the same time it's hard to not pull for that 64 yeah you know best of luck to everybody yep uh make sure you're following us on all the socials uncommon deeds on twitter and facebook uncommon deeds podcast on the instagram the Instagram. If you're listening to us on Apple, you know, give us that that five star review. How many of them? Five. One, two, three, four, five. Google, Spotify, wherever you listen, yep. follow. Make sure you get the uh, the latest episode as soon as it comes out on Friday morning. You can subscribe on Anchor. Yep. Yep. Which Anchor? Fantastic. They've done great for us yeah so you can check them out too maybe if you're looking at trying to start your own podcast hold on they didn't pay us to say that i know they could too so they could we could make 15 dollars an episode if we if we something like that or per thousand listens i think per thousand listens. we'll look into it (laughs) we can make 13 dollars and 98 cents per episode something like that and then split it in half between us. <laughs> on that get, note, if you you're interested half in sp- of a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> on that note, if you're interested in sponsoring Uncommon Deeds podcast, yeah. you reach out to us uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. We can send you over a sales sheet. That's mm-hmm. uncommonmediavt as in Vermont at gmail.com.
We'll treat you right. We have, uh, I, I think it's pretty affordable. I think that we <laughs> under promise and over deliver. I don't know if that translates into business, but I keep hearing good things. Yeah. And either way, it's just fun to see your logo out there and, and hear your name, isn't it? Yeah. I like it. We put our logo on our podcast every week. <laughs> uh, but there was one week where I literally didn't put my name. <laughs> I said not me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, Freaking fools. Yeah, it's about that is, time. Is Izzy okay? I is she know. sleeping now? I think she's wearing down. Okay. <laughs> she's wearing down. It's 11.38 p.m. right now. She's been going for about an hour. But I think... We're cat-sitting, and this cat just won't shut up. She's very sweet, but she definitely interrupted the interview (laughs) for me. There was some some cat tush in the camera. Bobby had a couple of dogs on his lap. And I was going to have Izzy, but Allie, Allie actually cut her off. I assumed Allie was going to be asleep by then. I'm like, okay, here she comes. You know, I'm impressed that it's taken 30 episodes for us to all have problems at the same time. Yeah. Some more than others. You can just push a cat off or a dog off. Keep on going. Uh, Go to bed, man. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of Uncommon (laughs) Deeds. A... uh, Production of Uncommon Media.